All right, welcome to a pretty melancholy post-game show. This is Sixers Daily. I'm your host, Jazz Kang. Before I jump into the Sixers getting absolutely killed by the Celtics, don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, we are there. And of course, check us out at libertyballers.com. One of the people behind some of the magic you see at libertyballers.com, Mr. Jackson Frank. Jackson, let's not really get too deep into a game that Boston won five to 87. Uh, but we're looking back at that, at that first half. And really th- this game was pretty much all, uh, you know, settled up by halftime. The Celtics were up by 27 going into the break. What went wrong here? Other than like, I look at this, like this is one of those games you just kind of threw away at one point in the, in the first half, the Celtics were 10 to 13 from three, the Sixers were three to 13, uh, Boston shot 57.7% from the field over the first two quarters. Philly at 28.6. Like, is it just one of those games that's going to happen in an NBA schedule through 82 games? I think I think it was some of that for sure. I mean, you look, the Sixers made 23 shots from the field. The Celtics alone tied a franchise record with 25 threes. Um, and they have not been a good three-point shooting team this year. Um, so there's definitely some variance at play, but there are, there are issues. Um, not anything that I feel like we haven't discussed, or at least I haven't raised before when I analyze this team. Um, but I think, you know, this, the Celtics have been playing like the best defense in the NBA. I think I was looking at their defensive rating going back to like October 28th. Um, they have a better defensive rating than the Warriors and they're just behind the Warriors. Um, even, even including that. So basically besides a week and a half, they've been the best defense since this nine game win streak started. Their defensive rating is like 95 point something. Um, which is ridiculous on the year they're 104.8. So um, really, really good defense. You saw how much they they impacted guys like uh, like Darius Maxey, Tobias Harris, um, you know, Furkan Korkmaz, Sheik Milton, even Joel to an extent. I thought, I thought Joel was pretty much his normal self in the first half and then kind of turned on autopilot once the Celtics put on another barrage early in the third, which is understandable. You got to preserve yourself. Um, but then I think also, you know, an issue was the Sixers perimeter defense was pretty awful. Um, yeah, the Celtics made a lot of shots. Um, they also got a lot of good looks. You're not going to make that many. Um, even if you get good looks, it's just that's the way things go. So, uh, those are the two big issues, but that, I think that's kind of what we already knew, right? That creating offense beyond Joel is kind of laborious at times. If Maxi's having, has a tough opponent on him and the perimeter defense isn't very good. And I, th- I think, I didn't think Matisse was very good. I thought Danny Green struggled a little bit too. So uh, when your two top perimeter defenders are struggling, you're not going to be very good. I thought Maxi was also pretty poor. So um, combination of things, but nothing we didn't already know. Uh, and a lot of it, you know, ideally could be alleviated offensively you know, with, with two, with uh, James Harden in the fold. Um, so that's, that's kind of my synopsis on it. I, I don't, you know, I, I've learned, you know, after I cover a team every game for four or five years, you can't really overreact to one game. And I don't think the Sixers are, even with Harden are like the overarching favorites. Um, they're a very good, but highly flawed team. And you saw some of those flaws today. Some of which Harden will, you know, correct. Others that he he won't correct. So, um, but the players that they trade don't really alleviate the, those issues that Harden won't correct anyway. So, uh, or I should say the players they trade that were playing for them. You know, Ben would obviously help with the defense because he's an incredible defender. But um, that's my written game. I, again, I, I think we're in agreement that I, I can't really take too much from it. But um, you know, poor performance against a really good team. You know, and you're you're down. You know, your your all star point guard. Um, you're gonna have a tough time. 
Yeah, and the, the Celtics have been no joke, you know, ever since January the 3rd in, in win percentage overall in the NBA, uh, now won nine in a row, sitting in the sixth spot in the Eastern Conference, only a game behind Philly not long ago. That that was, almost seemed like an insurmountable lead as we've gotten towards the back half of the season. You're looking at at this, Jackson, and again, I'm, uh, we're not going to dwell too much on a, on a game that you lose by 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 48 points. You know, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It was ugly. But James Harden was in, in the house. He was the bell ringer for this one. So I thought that might give the Sixers a little bit of life. I thought they might be excited by that. And, you know, their new teammates sitting there, former MVP, obviously it was not the case. But uh, you mentioned in your answer, they're talking about some of the flaws that Harden will be able to mask and some of the ones that he won't. Uh, I know we've talked about this a bit before, but for anyone who's just listening to the podcast, like when you're when you're looking at that, what do you think the the one key area that Harden is going to be able to match for the Sixers, and one area that, it, regardless of Harden's presence, is going to be an issue for the squad going into the final twenty five games here? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the big one is the ability to create off the dribble from the perimeter with you know with non with, with some size too. Um, you've seen what Maxi can do, but the reality is he's still six two and he's not a great passer. That gives you some issues. Harden is not the same level of explosive athlete as Maxi. It's not the version we've seen this year, but he's a more consistent, I would say, a more consistent break. Someone who breaks down defense more consistently can capitalize on that. And they need they need guys who can handle ball pressure well. Um, that's not a thing they really have outside of Harden right now. Um, and the, the Celtics defense is kind of tailor made to exploit that sort of weakness. Um, obviously, they're not tailor made to guard Joel. Like I said, Joel still played pretty well. In the first half, I thought I had 17, 7, and 5 on like 65% true shooting in the first half. A lot of free throws, but he does that every time they play the Celtics, so it's sustainable. Um, but, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is just a creator who can get things off the dribble, make things easier for Joel. Um, you know that Joel is going to be able to get pretty pristine position uh, against this Celtics team. They're not, you know, they're not super big. Uh, they're not – they know what, they don't know anyone who can match Joel's blend of size and quickness and strength. The issue is getting him the ball there. Harden is going to be able to alleviate that because he's one of the, you know, conservatively 10 best passers in the NBA. So those are kind of some of the ways I think he would help alleviate, you know, some of the issues that are, that arose, arose today. Um, but the obvious one is the defense isn't going to improve with him. Right. Yeah. Um, he's been one of the worst perimeter defenders, I think in the NBA this year for the most part. Um, but his predecessor in, in Seth Curry, isn't someone who was offered any positive impact on, on offense anyway, or on defense, excuse me, anyway. So you're not really, you know, even if Harden could be a little worse, you're not really, it's not a huge trade-off. And also Harden's coming from a very much, a much worse defensive interior defense context with the Nets versus a team like the Sixers who have Joel Embiid. So um, even if he's still quite bad, it probably won't look as bad impact-wise. That's not to say that he's playing any better, but, you know, impact is impact. Defense is very much a, a team, you know, construct there. So those are kind of the big things. I think Matisse has to be better, though. It's going to put a lot of Matisse and Danny's shoulders uh, Maxi has to be better. This this team likes to help a lot on drives, and they got burned for it. Um, and they they like to help, but they don't have a lot of mobile, rangy defenders on the perimeter. So, like if they help on a drive in the paint, they're not closing out very quickly to the corners of the wings. You saw Tobias struggle with that. You saw Danny. You saw George and Yang struggle with that. Maxi as well. Um, uh, so those are issues going to be there. Harden's not changing that. Harden's lateral quickness this year has been pretty subpar, uh, and in conjunction with pretty poor effort, doesn't help things. So. Um, but the offense is going to look a lot better with Harden in the fold, and that's what you're banking on. You're not trading. You're not trading for James Harden because he's a two-way star. You're trading for him because he's one of the you know ten, maybe this version 10, 15 best initiate ten best initiators in the NBA. And you now you pair him with a guy like Joel, who has been awesome this year on both ends, especially on offense. 
um, things should be easier. So that's kind of how I look at it. Um, I think this, this team's defense is, is clearly an issue. Um, I don't think it's terrible or anything, but I, I think it's closer to the eight to 11 to 12 range. Whereas last year it was a top, it was the top three unit, top two unit. Um, whereas, but now you're looking at the offense to be a lot better. So we'll see how it pays off. I believe it'll be worth it, but um, you know, there's clearly still going to be issues defensively with James Harden, but they also would exist with Seth Curry. So it's not, you know, something to really you know, kind of wring your hands over. Yeah. I think the, the rebounding is another thing too, that, that we're going to, we're going to see there, like, like you're saying with maxi size and, and kind of helping out and Seth obviously was not the biggest player in terms of, uh, in terms of a two guard. So having Harden who averages eight rebounds per game, will I think maybe bump the Sixers out of the worst rebounding team in the NBA title, but that remains to be seen. Uh, you did mention James Harden there. We talked about him, him and Ben Simmons broke their silence. It's a big deal on deadline day. Uh, let's jump into what they said after a short break. All right. And we're back here with Jackson Frank. Uh, again, the Sixers got killed. So we're not going to really get too deep into this one against the Celtics. They were, they were smoked wire to wire, uh, but some stuff happened off the court. James Harden spoke to the media in Philly. First time being introduced, kind of went over, said a lot of the right things that it's, it's championship or bust at, at this point. And, and he said a lot of good things about Joel too, that Joel is the MVP. I'm coming in, in here to help. And he also interestingly, Jackson said that this is he wanted to be in Philly the whole time. I saw some people on Twitter calling Harden out and calling him a liar and saying that he basically, um, you know, uh, was wanted to go to Brooklyn. It didn't work out there. Now he's saying this. How, how did you again? This is all personal. So it's it's subjective more than uh, more than anything else in terms of how you reacted to Harden's comments. But how did you take things that uh, what he was saying? And, and were you a little bit more optimistic about how things are going to go with him in the fold? Uh, to answer your second question, initially, it didn't really change my opinion on things. I mean, it's it's not hard to win the press conference. I'm not saying that like, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing, but uh, I've watched enough. The Sixers have made quite a few splashy trades since I started covering the team. I've watched enough of them to know that uh, you can look pretty good your first day at a place you want to be. So didn't really change things there. Um, not that I have like some pessimistic outlook on how this yeah. partnership can work, but um, just kind of you know my my opinion doesn't doesn't move off of that. Um, the other part is, you know, about him wanting to be in Philly. I, I believe it. I see where people are coming from, though. I'm not saying that, like, I would be, like, calling him a liar or, or hurling vitriol at him for it. But I see both sides there. Um, but I think you can definitely believe Harden because, you know, there's been at least some level of credence and reporting that, you know, Rockets owner Tillman Fertitta didn't want to deal Harden to Maury um, because they kind of had a bit of a falling out, it seemed, or they had just some differing goals when they were together in Houston. So uh, seems reasonable that that could be the case. Um, but – I definitely see why it could be, it could look like it's, he's kind of just pivoting to something else, but um, you know, clearly he has a close relationship with Maury. Um, you know, I, I get, you know, I get that maybe you want to come to the Sixers initially. So um, taking his word, I have no reason not to. Um, you know, there's been reporting that might indicate as much that maybe Philly was his preferred spot, but he, you know, he, he can request a trade and give a couple of spots. Um, he has quite a, quite a lot of, you know, autonomy to wield as a star player, as we've seen. Um, but you can't, you can't, maybe he didn't, wasn't able to cater everything, right. He wasn't able to fine tune it perfectly. So, um, I'll believe him there. And I, you know, like I said, I think he's, you know, there's no reason not to really you know, believe him, but I understand why people might be a little more skeptical. Um, but I think, I guess maybe I'm contradicting myself a little bit there, but, um, I guess I just say, I believe him. I don't think, you know, there's reason to believe that he, he's saying otherwise, but I understand why people feel otherwise. Um, but it wouldn't lead me to maybe, you know, say anything rash 
to him or about him, you know, uh, both privately or publicly. But um, yeah, the, the 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 press run in general didn't really alter things for me. Like I said, you know, it's easy to win the presser. It's, yeah. it's a lot harder to back up what you say at a presser. And I think Harden and Embiid are, are good enough to do that, but it, it remains to be seen, you know, whether that happens. Yeah. I think they're, I, I think they're overall, uh, it's going to be a good fit. Am I going to sit here and say the Sixers are going to win a championship because they have James Harden? I don't think I, I can say that. Like, you know, like they are the odds on favorite, but I'll get your opinion on this too. Like if you're looking at the NBA pecking order, I think we'd both be in agreement that the Suns, given how great they've looked and, and coming off their finals appearance last season, that they're to me, the odds on favorite. And I think we, we might both agree on that, but when you're looking at the rest of the NBA, where do you put the Sixers in terms of title chances? Like, how, do you put them as a top five squad? Do you have them in the top 10? Where would you have them now that they've made that Harden deal? And we know it's going to be him and Joel leading this squad, as I said, over the last, you know, 20, 25 games of the season here. And as we get into April in the playoffs. Well, yeah, I think so. To, to answer it briefly, yes, top five. Um, the issue though, is that two teams that I think could definitely win it that are probably at full strength put above the Sixers in the Bucks in the in the Warriors mm-hmm. have two pretty big looming question marks with both Draymond Green and Brooke Lopez's absences there. Um, without Brooke Lopez and Draymond Green, I think it's it's much the the, the gap is a lot smaller between those two teams and the Sixers. Um, with Brooke Lopez, like I, I would I would probably I'd probably put the Sixers above the Bucks if, if Brooke doesn't come back. I don't trust their interior defense without him. Their perimeter defense isn't good enough without Drew. I don't or beyond Drew Holiday. So um, I would be pretty worried there with Brooke Lopez. I think it's a lot closer. I don't know exactly where I'd where I'd land, but Brooke also hasn't played since October nineteenth or whatever, um, and it's hard to know exactly. And but even when then with the Warriors, I think I, I like I still might favor them. You know, without Draymond, but maybe that's giving them too much credit. They've been kind of up and down since Draymond's been out for about a month and a half now. Yeah. Um, but I, but I could be, I could be persuaded on that. It's a little bit of wait and see because I don't know exactly what the Sixers look like. It's like, it's almost analyzing two teams that we don't know exactly know what they are. You know, the, the, the Warriors in the playoffs without Draymond and the Harden and Bede Sixers, um, you know, it's two hypotheticals there. So um, I think the Sixers in the top five, my, my, I think the top three in the East for me, um, even independent of the Brooklyn situation in some order would be the heat, the bucks and the Sixers. And then, you know, kind of maybe a second, a, t- a tier one B two a, what do you want to call it with the Cavs, the, um, the Cavs, the Celtics, the bulls and the nets. Um, and then I would eat and then out West. I don't, I don't love anyone beyond, um, the, the Suns in the war. I think the Grizzlies are really good, but I, I don't trust them quite enough. I just think that their interior defense and their center play and kind of how you can play off Steven Adams can really kind of bother them at times. And then the jazz, I just, I just don't trust that defense till I think they're in a really tough spot with printer defense and, and whatnot. So top five, I would say, but um, there, there's definitely kind of a, a hierarchy within that top five, even if they're in there, but that's not a bad place to be. Uh, it's, it's much, I would have had them in a different tier without Harden. So it's, it's a good place to be post trade. I think. Yeah. I feel like they, they, you know, Daryl Morey and, 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 Co, you know, basically put them into a position to be a championship favorite. And when we say top five, you know, that means to me a favorite, not the prohibitive favorite, I would say, but at least up there. And I'm with you. You know what? The Utah Jazz, I'm I'm always kind of happy when Utah self-destructs like we've seen the last couple of years too. So this is a good thing for me too. I, I just, I've never liked that franchise. So it's too bad for Utah Jazz fans. We're, we're glad to see y'all struggling and we don't anticipate you guys making any run uh, in the playoffs. Switching gears to Ben Simmons. He finally kind of broke his silence. He talked to the media, you know, gave some insight into what was going on. 
in his head, and, and this is a quote here um, that I'm using. He was asked kind of, you know, what went wrong in Philly and why he wanted out. And I'm quoting again, if I knew, I would tell you everything. But there's just a lot of things internally that had to happen over time. And it just got to a place where I don't think it was good for me mentally. So it is what it is. It happened. And I'm moving forward. Uh, he's also, you know, kind of discussed all this stuff and, you know, said all the right things about being a, a good teammate and being ready to go for the Brooklyn Nets. But when you're looking at this, I mean, and here's another quote from him. He's saying, so that's something I've been dealing with in terms of his mental health. It wasn't just about the fans referring to the Philly fans or coaches or comments made by anybody. It was just a personal thing for me. That was earlier than, than that series. And he's referring to one against the Hawks or that season that I was dealing with. And the Sixers knew that. So when, when you're hearing this kind of stuff, this, did anything that Ben said today kind of surprise you when he was referring to his tenure in Philly? Um, I, I don't think so, really. Um, I will say it, it was it was cool to hear from Ben. Uh, however you feel about it, it was nice to just hear some of his perspective on things so much of, and I know he's, I know anything that's kind of leaked from clutch or whatever is somehow probably filtered through him to an extent, most likely, but, but it was still cool to hear from him directly. I'm not saying like he, he owed anyone that, but it was just kind of refreshing to hear from him and, and him, some of his standards. I did admire when he talked that he admitted that he'd been in a dark place at times the last half year. Um, it takes a lot of courage to, to do that. Um, you know, just kind of at least own up to your, like it, publicize your mental health issues like that. So um, big kudos to him, but it was just kind of refreshing to hear him, his voice again. Um, I think Ben is is pretty good about kind of tailoring perceptions of things off the floor. Um, you know, whether it's the highlight videos in the summer or, you know, post-game quotes or pre-game quotes or pressers. And that's not a criticism. I mean, like a lot of players do that, um, but he's another wait and see guy. Like I, I'm looking forward to watching Ben Simmons play basketball again. I've covered him long enough to not expect him to be a radically different player, which you know, he's still a really good player. He's still an all-star type player, um, but it's very much a wait and see. But it, but it was nice to hear from Ben again. Not like I'm saying, not like I we needed to hear from him, but just on the, just on the fact that a lot has come out about him, not directly from him. And so, I hope at least he felt like he was able to give some light. And it was nice to hear from him. And I, I do commend him for sharing about his mental health struggles because it's kind of been up in the air recently. Yeah, you know, when you when you look at this, we haven't really heard his point of view since that series and we haven't heard much from him at all you know basically nothing other than uh him showing up at philly that one practice and things kind of got out of control and we saw him get you know we heard that he got kicked out other than that we know that he was working out in the facility but but you're looking at this like from the perspective that okay they made this deal and now all of a sudden he's ready to go so to me the way i look at this and we had some people chime in on this on, on twitter as well like mina kimes of espn uh, not specifically referring to Ben in the situation, but kind of talking about how athletes get a hard ride on social media. And if you actually go back and look at some of Mina's tweets, it's like, well, you've said plenty of things to make fun of people as well when they're in a moment of struggle or, or they made a mistake. Um, so to sit here and say social media can be a toxic place when you're contributing to it yourself uh, really doesn't make a ton of sense and, and makes you look honestly hypocritical. Uh, but you're looking at this like from, from Ben's standpoint and, and what had happened here with the Sixers. Like, do you... Do you think this was like the ultimate boiling point? Was that series against the Hawks? Because I took this like, I hey, look, and I we've talked about this before a bit, Jackson, too, that I don't really, I'm not going to get into what somebody's mental health situation is because I don't know. And I'm not going to, you know what I mean? I'm not going to judge them for, for going through something. But when you look at this, and, and again, this is just your opinion. We're not saying it's fact. But when you look at what's what happened with Ben and this team, and now the fact that it's, you know, less than four days after that deal's made, that he's get sent to Brooklyn. He's ready. He's on the court. He's, he's in shape and he's, and he's ready to start playing. 
do, do you look at that and say that people might be justified in, in, in saying, well, you've solved your mental health issues with that trade because you also have, you also have a, another side to it too, where I look at, and I agree with some people who say, Hey, you know, we can't really look inside Ben's mind and who knows. And he talked about, he did have some off court stuff going on and in, in his personal life and with his family, uh, Ramona Shelburne of ESPN touched on that a few months back as well. So I'm not, again, I'm not taking away from that, but when, when you look at, this from that perspective that, Hey, look, you didn't have any mental health issues that kept you away from the game of basketball. You had a personal thing that kept you away from the Sixers. And so where do you lie on, on, on that spectrum when it came to Ben's answers and, and him being so ready to participate again after getting a trade? I, I totally support him on that. end because I think, you know, based on the, the way I read the mental health stuff was that he just, it was not tenable for him to play in Philadelphia the, the the work environment for him or the home the living in Philadelphia or whatever was not tenable and conducive to him continuing to work past whatever is bothering him. Um, and so for me, like I, I I really don't like when people speculate on like, oh, all of a sudden he's better. Well, well, yeah, he didn't want to play in Philadelphia for the Sixers and he got traded. And so now maybe he's a little more comfortable to at least work his way back. He's not like he's not saying he's going to play. You're not saying this either, but like, he's not saying he's going to play all like tomorrow. Like mm. he's, he's not going to play until after the all-star break at the earliest. Um, and so for me, like, I think to an extent people don't like Ben, like, I don't care. Like you don't have to like Ben as a player. I'm not saying otherwise, like, I don't, I don't like, I enjoy watching him, but I also found myself to get frustrated with watching him at times. So um, not saying that, but I think people are kind of letting their fandom with the Sixers or just kind of their frustration with Ben as a player bleed into this. Um, because I felt like it was pretty clear that he just didn't feel mentally ready to play in Philadelphia. And if that's the case, then it also makes sense that he would be closer to returning to the court once he's no longer a member of the Sixers. So for me, I just didn't like that narrative like, oh, all of a sudden he's ready to play. No, he's not. And two, the reporting was that he didn't want to play with the Sixers. He wasn't mentally ready to play in that environment. He wants to go to a new work environment. So um, I didn't like that narrative. I thought it was kind of bending and kind of distorting the reporting to criticize a player you don't like. And, and that, that kind of frustrated me. I just don't, I just don't ever want to wade into speculating someone's mental health um, as someone who are like, or has my own issues. Like I don't Ben, like if, even if the end comes out somehow that Ben fabricated this, I wouldn't care personally. I'm not trying to speak for everyone else, but like it, it wouldn't really bother me. I just think I, it would bother me more that people are speculating on the issue itself and being skeptical because of his relation to basketball or things like that. I think that that frustrates me more as if like, what you do as an athlete, you know, lens takes away credibility from your the validity of your mental health struggles. So um, I, I, I think I always just try to make sure I'm, I'm criticizing Ben for his on-court performance and people who've read and follow my work for a long time know I've been very critical of Ben, but I just don't want to wade into any of that sort of thing because I think it's not our place. We don't know Ben either. Like maybe you've seen him in media or anything that, but like you don't know who Ben is as a person. You don't know him on a human level at all. So I feel like the safest and most respectful thing is to just you know, you don't have to support him, but just not to vilify, you know, or assume that he's faking his mental health struggles to earn money or get out of or get out of an environment you don't want to be in, which the latter could affect your mental health and often does for people. Yeah, no, I, and I'm with you on that. I think we've we've said that enough on on, on the podcast as well. I'm like, I'm not going to speculate on how he's feeling internally. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. And and like you mentioned, you you might have had some issues with it. I've had issues with it. I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this podcast have as well. And we might all show it in different ways and handle things in our, in our own unique uh, individual kind of 
you know, ways that we, we, we would do things. And I think some people might turn to uh, substance abuse. Some people might turn to, you know, uh, exercise, whatever it is. People have their own outlet for that. So I'm not going to begin to speculate on where Ben was at mentally, but the Philly fans have been getting a bit of a bad rap since the trade was made. I've seen a ton of people online, prominent media members too, saying, oh, you know, the fans in Philly are the worst and, and you know, they shouldn't have done Ben like that. Well, you know, and I'm glad we're having this discussion because I, I look at this too. As you, if you're a professional athlete, like if you, I don't know if you remember Jackson, how, how old you were, if you were born at the time, but to be honest with you, but like Scott Norwood missed that field goal for, for the Bills in the Super Bowl against the Giants, uh, you know, was just vilified for that. You look at what happened to... Uh, Bill Buckner, you know, the 86, uh, the Red Sox, you know, people finally got over it 30 some odd years later, just in time for him to pass away. But I feel like this is just a part of the what comes with the job. And especially in this day and age where, yeah, athletes are also making money off of social media. They're doing ads and and they're, you know, branding stuff with with big companies and getting paid to post on social media. It's like you're naturally going to open yourself up to criticism. Right. And and I think this is where I, I don't agree with some of the takes. I'm with you 100 percent that keep it to on court or on field performance. You know, you don't have no clue what's going on in somebody's personal home, uh, personal lives and in, the, in their homes. And we all have had, and we will continue to, everybody has their own issues in their, in their own lives. But when the on court stuff, like where, where do you sit on that? Do you think things like the Philly fans were too hard on Ben, given that what happened over the last, you know, six months, seven months, uh, you know, since the, the playoff loss, like where do you sit on that? Because I do think there's a fine line that, you have to be open to criticism when it comes to your performance. I'm not saying you as an individual, as a person, but as for your performance and what you do on the court, you have to be a little bit understanding that it is just a part of the gig when you're earning 30, $35 million to be at the top of your field and be one of the best in the industry. And these people are, some people are paying, you know, a hundred dollars a night for a ticket to come see you. Like where, where do you sit on all that too? Yeah, I think, I like, I think it's, it's complicated. Um, I, I, I never want to, to devolve things into ad hominem attacks. I think that's stuff that goes too far. Um, I, I think that, you know, it's always, and this is how I try to view things. It's like always try to err on the side of caution with things that you're saying about players or teams or whatever, because, or anyone in general, because you just never know what they're going through. Right. Like, like it's like, it's like, I am, I am totally okay with poking fun at you know, some of Ben's, you know, struggles on the court. Um, and I think there's a line right between like parlaying that into something about him as a person versus like, yeah, he passed up a dunk and it was kind of funny. Like it happens. Like, yeah. so, um, I think if your goal as an athlete or whatever profession you're in is to continue improving, um, which is what the goal is for most athletes, then yeah, you absolutely got to be open to criticism, but it's like, it's Ben's already really good. And I'm not saying that like it absolves him from, from not getting better offensively, but He's also one of the 40 best people in the world in his profession. It's really hard to get better than that. Um, I'm not saying that like I, the reporting that's come out means he did everything correctly developmentally, but um, I think there is kind of a line there to be understanding about it. But um, I, I I don't think fans are necessarily owed anything. You that's kind of my issue. I think sometimes fans have a level of entitlement um, about things like as if as if like Ben owed people an explanation or he, he owed fans an apology, like. No, he like, his teammates an, an explanation, not even an apology. I think to his teammates and maybe, you know, for whatever he was going through. But yeah, I agree with you. To fans, he doesn't know nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think, I think like, I, even, even with the teammates, you know, I think it's tough because so much of kind of just the culture of, of sports and work in general is that you just close things to, to coworkers and, and, the, and maybe, and maybe some of his, maybe some of the people in the Sixers were, were more than just coworkers for him, but 
Um, that's where it's tough too, because we don't live in kind of a, a work environment where like it's normal to just kind of let people have space where like if Ben's all of a sudden super quiet all the time because he's going through something, you're going to want to know, but maybe it's okay to just kind of support him through that and, and not dig deeper. Right. So mm-hmm. um, it's a really tough situation for me. I, 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 I kind of see, I see where you're coming from about like, that's kind of part of the job. I wish it wasn't really part of the job. I think in, in, in a better society, like it's not just, are oh, you going to social media and like, you're just expected to kind of see or hear or receive vitriol from, from fans because you went over eight from three or something like that, or two of nine from the free throw. And I think, I think we could get to a better place as fans and writers and analysts that doesn't kind of just say, Oh yeah, well, I it's like, he has to deal like that player has to deal with it because that's just how it's always been. Precedent doesn't mean it's correct. Um, and, and this is kind of waiting to a greater subject at hand, but um, point being is I think it's totally okay. Like if you joked about Ben's performance on the court, um, then yeah, it's whatever. Um, once the mental health stuff came out and people maybe were still cracking jokes or being skeptical, that's where I really draw a line. Um, and so I, I see kind of what you're talking about with me and others, but I think it's a little different because at the time when Mina was joking, at least as far as I saw, it was during the, during the playoffs, she didn't know anything you know, about his mental health state there. So um, that, that's kind of, but I do think there are people who kind of try to play all three sides, right? They were jokes before the news came out, then joke about it after the news came out that he was having mental health struggles and then trying to, kind of get on your high, your high horse, right? You can't do all of them, right? If you didn't know, you didn't know, but you can't make the jokes after, you know, and then scold people, you know, for doing it as well. Right. So um, there's a line here, but I think in general, the idea is just remember players are human. Um, if you want to have some fun with, you know, at their expense because of the way they play in the court, that's okay. Try to keep it appropriate. Don't ever wait into their, their character. Um, there are plenty of people in the NBA who have done bad things. Uh, if you want to attack their character, I won't. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're right. Yeah. Um, but I think you just have to remember that like, we want to treat these people as humans and athletes second, and just to always err on the side of caution with things. So, um, it's a really nuanced conversation. I see where you're coming from with all of it. I just think you, you just, we just got to treat people with respect. If they, if they, if their actions have deserved respect, um, if they haven't done anything heinous, which, you know, for all of Ben's issues, I don't really think he's done anything heinous. Um, you know, so that's where I would turn to kind of land on things, but it's, it's a complicated situation and I understand all of it, but I do think some of the issue, not that you should know otherwise, is that just a lot of fans feel entitled for some reason. Um, well, you know, you know, Jackson, to, to add to that, I, I think that comes with, you know, I'm with you a lot too. I, I think one thing with me getting into the media field and, and you know, I look at it as a journalist, right. Is like, my job is just trying to be objective and try and give you facts and I can give you my opinion with some added, you know, meat behind it, why I might feel that way, but I'm with you. I I think a lot of it is, and there's a fine line between it all too, right? Like you're looking at this, a lot of social media is clout and, and people are, are looking to talk smack and they'll contradict themselves. And you'll see people, you know, maybe taking shots and I'm not just saying Ben, but other athletes who, you know, might be going through something. It's like, well, you do shitty things yourself. You know what I mean? Like, so it's, it's such a fine line to, to draw. I just think with athletes, like you can, it's, and again, it's easy for me to sit here and say in my current role, but I also think with athletes, there is kind of this line that needs to be understood that we're not, you know, like we're going to have to be susceptible to people judging us. And I think this came, you know, and I grew up in a time where social media and digital devices were nothing like, you know, I, when I was 19 years old, I didn't have a cell phone, 20 years old, I didn't have a cell phone. And so as I got older, you know, they, these things became more of a part of daily society, but the issue comes with it is now it's like the more and more people have access to this, the more and more people waste time on here, the more and more people want to get recognized for what they're saying, what they're doing, how they look, it's taken away from, from, 
the me- the messaging of of what sports really is about, which is, hey, you want to you want to criticize me for what I do on the court or on the field or I make a mistake by all means have at it. But I, I also think that as a professional athlete and even us in our jobs, people who disagree with you will come back and talk, talk smack to you. So I just think it's, it's part and parcel of with what we do. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think that's like, I, I will. And I think even with the criticism on the court, I like, I always try to frame things as, as nicely as possible. I um, mean, you're not saying otherwise, but like, I, I like, again, I, I've criticized Ben intently for years about his issues on the floor I've always just tried to make sure it stays right on that. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the reporting that's come out about Ben is that he doesn't seem super willing to adjust his style and to take criticism uh, about his game, which again, like he doesn't have to, right? Like he's a fringe all-star. Uh, but if he wants to, if he wants to be considered as someone who like can help amplify a team to the highest level in the NBA, then he has to, he has to change. Right. Like, so yeah. um, that's where I'm happy to criticize, but I also think it's worth knowing that like, yes, if you want to criticize Ben for not getting better, like sure but also he's already really good doesn't make him like a bad person now you're not saying that but like i think sometimes people assume oh ben hasn't gotten better offensively it hasn't shown any willingness to like it doesn't it's not none of that's an indictment on his, his morality like you don't don't need to attack his character but like if y'all by all means you want to say that he the reports that have come out don't necessarily seem like his highest priority is helping team win a title that's fine i mean but it doesn't doesn't make him a bad person like is maybe his goal is to just put together a Hall of Fame career and put together a bunch of All Star appearances, and make a bunch of money. Then so be it. That's what he wants. That's like a totally fine thing. Um, but I think it's just important to kind of keep keep it targeted in in the on court sphere. Um, you know, for the most part, and you know, assuming like necessarily there's people that have there are people that do things that warrant you know athletes that do things that warrant criticism outside the sphere. I don't think you know what Ben or how Ben has handled this part. You know, this part of his athletic career you know, does need to transcend, uh, you know, the court itself. But, um, but yeah, I think it's totally fine to criticize players, um, you know, for their game, because the assumption is that any athlete wants to continue to get better. You know what, Jackson, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap things up there. Cause I know we're, we're kind of getting off the Sixers specifically, but you know what, we'll do a podcast for the Vox media host news site. And we should talk about this stuff. Cause I'm sure we can go uh, for a couple of hours about the drawbacks of social media. Uh, maybe, you know, kind of the things that, that can go wrong in, in today's society, but, um, yeah, we'll wrap things up there. And, and, and like you mentioned, I mean, I I'm looking forward to, I'm hoping we do see Ben back on the court, especially for that March 10th game. And I'm not saying it because I want to see him get booed. I'm just saying, I love sports. I love a good story. Him coming back to Philly would be the talk of the, of not just the NBA world, but the sports media landscape and an exciting thing for us covering this team. So I'm hoping he does get back on the court sooner and later. And, and I would love to see a, a Sixers Nets playoff series as well. And, and he's guarded Harden pretty well the last couple of years. So that would be a really fun matchup. And I think just on a human level, if Ben's able to play in Philly in a month or three weeks now, I think it would represent that he's just doing better mentally, which would be cool there too. So um, a lot of components. I'm sure some people want him to play because they want to boo him. Um, I think booing is like fine. Like I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of levels to it. But, um, but I think just for me, I would enjoy watching him defend Harden. And I would feel, I would be excited that he is in a place that he can play somewhere that, a month ago, he didn't deem he could. So um, that would be cool for everyone involved. There's a lot of different aspects to it, but enjoy this conversation. I'm glad we had some nuance to it. And uh, yeah, I hope that in three weeks time, we get to watch uh, Ben versus Ben versus James Harden and uh, go toe to toe. I know, you know different caliber of players, but we'll definitely get to watch Ben guard Harden if he plays. So that would be certainly very fun. 
Uh, you know what, Jackson, if if uh, if any of the higher ups at Invox Media or at Vox Media are listening to this podcast, you know what, you feel free to want to give me and Jackson our own podcast at a significant <laughs> raise. We'll, we'll take that as well, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, that'll do that. Uh, that'll wrap things up for this episode of Sixers Daily. Don't forget as well, like I mentioned off the top, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us wherever you get your audio fix. And of course, as I mentioned, Jackson, Paul Hudrick, Steve Lippman, Harrison Grimm, Tom West. I can go down the line. Dave Early uh, always do great work at libertyballers.com as well. So don't forget to keep up with us as the Sixers head into the All-Star break. Only one more game left. Uh, before then, they'll take on the Bucks in another big one on Thursday. Going to flush this ugly, nasty loss to the Celtics and get ready for that one before having some uh, downtime, especially for the guys not participating in the All-Star activities. And then, of course, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll see James Harden make his debut 10 days from now when the Sixers take on the Minnesota Timberwolves at home. So that'll do it for this one. We'll catch up with you all next time.